0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the OrcoCast. My name is the Soros and in this podcast, I'm talking to indie game developers about their games and the video game industry in general. So if you like my show, then please consider subscribing on YouTube, thumb the video up, ring the bell, leave a comment, and if you're listening to one of the many podcast platforms, please consider us giving a review, and if you want to support us, please check out our Patreon. Thank you everyone, and now on to the show, Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Arcacast. This time with me is SJ Gold. Hello there. Hey, how are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. I thank you for having me. You're very much welcome. SJ, tell us
1: a little bit about yourself. So I'm Seth, also known as the Strategy... Informer. I am a uh, former developer, kind of retired developer, still doing some stuff, and I also run <clears throat> some industry uh, uh, discoverability for strategy games and some consulting on the side. basically, I consider myself to be a uh, a guy who has uh, his uh, hand on the pulse of the indie gaming industry and uh, the strategy gaming industry, and, uh,
0: and I'm branching out in a bunch of ways. Awesome. Okay, so let's start with the first question. How did you actually get into the gaming industry? Luck. Tell me more about that luck. So I was working uh,
1: in Austin for a web design professional services company, um, and I uh, made friends with uh, one of the guys that worked with us. He happened to be a game designer, um, and he got hired by a small little company uh, named Origin, which was owned by Electronic Arts at that point in time. And when he went over, he took me from the company we were working with and went with him. So it was a combination of luck, nepotism, being in the, same, in the right place at the right time. And I got to, to live the dream and, and work for Origin Systems on Ultima Online. And that was pretty much since I was a, a wee little tot, and saw Ultima 1 and said, I want to do that for a living, that was kind of
0: like my dream fulfillment. So, yeah. So the answer is luck. (laughs) That is, that is amazing. So imagine there is a young lad and he desperately wants to work in the gaming industry. What would you tell him? Make contacts, become known in, in in the industry,
1: give some some help, build up a resume. I mean, there are a million programmers, there are a million artists, there are a million sound people. And sometimes just having your body of work is not enough. People hire people they know. You see companies consolidating all the time, you see Companies, in a lot of cases, you know, the people that were involved in modding suddenly become employees of the company. Uh, People that were putting in really good bug reports become QA people. Making contacts and being sincere, not sincere, that's not the right word I'm looking for.
0: Uh,
1: Having your personality shine through, being authentic. Those are the two things that I think will get you in quicker than
0: just filling out resumes. That is a good thing. So I will keep that in mind because as you know, I am searching for a job in the video game industry. So Follow
1: what I do on Twitter and other things that, that I, I engage in, and
0: it should be easier. <laughs>
1: I'm not saying I have all the answers. I just have a couple.
0: Okay. <laughs> but a couple of uh, answers is don't know answer. That's true. So what exactly did you do at Origin Systems and Electronic Arts.
1: I did so many things working with the live team. The live team encompassed everything that was outside of the game. So we handled login servers. We handled player relation systems. we handled player reward systems. I designed the billing system, which at that point in time was a, it was a big accomplishment to, to bill out 250,000 transactions. Um, a week or a month uh, back then, that didn't really occur in private industry. Maybe credit card processing. So it was it was unique in the company as well, because we were the only ones doing a monthly billing project. And later on, with the Sims Online and with uh, Pogo.com, and uh, I guess Warhammer Online, it uh, you know the the systems that that we had built back then kind of became the model for for what went forward we did some some game design we did some skunk works design we were working on uh, a Skunkworks version of uh, mule which is an old strategy game by danny bunton from the 80s and i also did testing i did qa i did play test well that goes you know it was it was pretty much whatever you were needed for since we were the only studio that had an MMO. We got pulled in a lot of directions. Like we helped prototype the Sims Online data. So every day was a, a, a new experience, and uh, I got to work with uh, the people in Redwood Shores uh, fairly, fairly often. And uh, it was a, it was kind of high stress. It was a 24-hour on-call position. That's pretty.
0: That that's pretty cool. So you you were just going all around EA as it sounds like, and you were really involved in the company. If you, if you look at EA from then, and at EA now, do they have changed, or are they still the same?
1: Well, you know, the leadership is, is obviously different, you know, John Riccatello is not there anymore, that's who was leading the company when I was there. You know, they're a monolithic game company, they pivot very slowly they innovate very slowly. When, you're, when your biggest product is, say, Madden Online, and you have to put out a new version every year, there's very little innovation that can go from year to year. So yes, they have changed. No, the core principles are still uh, the same and the similar difficulty. EA is also known in the industry is EA University. They have a tremendous talent drain and brain drain because they get rid of some of their best people and they go on to other projects and other companies with what they learned at EA. And that's an issue. That's an issue for any company. Heck, that's an issue for uh, countries. You'll hear that being discussed uh, as you know, all our scientists are, are working elsewhere. It's the same situation. But yeah, EA, EA has changed. But, you know, meet the old boss, same as the new boss.
0: So just just to give you an anecdote uh, from history, the Berlin Wall was erected because uh, East Germany had actually a massive brain drain before it was erected. A lot of intellectuals fled from East to West. So that was one of the reasons why they put it up, because they didn't want to lose all their thinking power. And I don't ah. know... Yeah, it was one of the reasons, and I mean, you, you're you basically right. I talked to another uh, deaf who worked for Bioware, so also Electronic Arts essentially, and he left after 25 years or something to do his own. So I hear that a lot, that people just leave, because the company itself is just not fun to work for as well. That's also what I heard through the grapevines. And I completely um, understand that that you also said, eh, "I'm a piece out."
1: I, uh, well, I didn't, I didn't leave on my own vote, uh, but on my own. Let's put it, put it simply, I got caught in a downsizing as most people leaving uh, EA do, or the AAA industry in general. Ultima Online Two was canceled, and they downsized the studio from a hundred people to like. Forty or fifty. So I enjoyed working for EA, to be honest. When I was in Redwood Shores, they they really took care of you. Uh, at least, you know, the employees. They would make sure they wanted you to work extra hours so that they would they would bring in some really great food. And who the heck wants to drive in rush hour traffic in San Francisco? So you work till eight or nine, and you get dinner. Um, the The working environment fun. The people were amazing. Yeah, management could be difficult, but management is difficult Any anyway. And at that point, we still had crunch. I don't mind crunch. I was cool with cr- Companies crunch. I've been crunching my entire life. I still crunch. <laughs> I, that's maybe why I had a heart attack at 45.
0: Yeah, that could be one of the reasons uh, to take it a little bit slow here. <laughs> 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 okay, oh, after EA, where did your way lead to you?
1: So I kind of went back into what I knew as a, as a professional level, but I still did a lot of testing and QA work in the industry for contract, worked for Turbine uh, and Microsoft on Atron's call, which uh, used to be on uh, the Microsoft uh, uh, game platform at that point, I can't let's I worked uh, on Lord of the Rings Online, which is another game from Turbine, and testing and QA. Did some did some stuff with with some of the older MMOs at that point, and I was basically going back into client services work and uh, doing uh, development, web development, and database. Then uh, in 2009, which funny enough, I, I just realized I was working at a company that was upstairs from one of the Bioware studios. I decided to leave there and start my own com- uh, game studio.
0: That's 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 interesting. Tell me more about that game studio. What what did you want to do there?
1: So I saw a opening in the industry. There was a tremendous amount of uh, VC money, angel investment money, and people money going into some really horrible Facebook games like Mafia, that had no original game design to them, and nobody can figure out why these dials of early incrementals were were roping people in. These, beca- these games became the foundation of the mobile games, and uh, like I said, there were millions, and I wanted to bring in some actual game design to this style of game because i felt that that could enhance things and and build a better playing environment for the people i was very uh egotistical that i could produce a a game they would enjoy more by putting in real game design
0: <laughs> i mean if you can do that why not so how did that then work out for you these grand plans that you had
1: so we prototyped three games and uh we decided to go with one of them and at the same time we were trying to capture the media buzz at the time which was 2009 and uh, we figured that if we could put out a game that had something to do with the news that we could potentially steal the news so pirates of similia was born
0: (laughs) Hey, okay. and what did this game theoretically entail?
1: Pirates of Somalia was
0: a Mafia Wars
1: clone, but we jumped, we leapfrogged the development that, that Mafia Wars had. We put in cause and effect systems, so like you would do something and, and other stats would go down, up. Like if you wound up, if your action was to uh, crawl through a sewer, you would get smelly and uh your charisma would go down so if you tried to interact with uh, or do an action that interacted we you would have less of a chance of success we put in a storyline which was essentially the the two npcs that guide you aisha and omar they were really secret service or i'm sorry cia agents and they were attempting to infiltrate the pirate organization, train people, flip them to the other side, and have them fight the pirates. So the end game was pirates and warlords fighting pirates. We put in systems for, instead of just hitting one button to attack and all your people attack, and it generates a number, you would have different buildings that would influence how the attack went. You had different types of attacks that would influence. It was much more of a full game experience. And on top of that, we used straight out gambling prints. We had a lottery system. We had uh, a uh, scratch off ticket system. We had leaderboards for everything you could imagine because people love leaderboards and you would get rewards for being on the top of the leaderboard. So we were bringing in some more traditional designs that you didn't see until later on in game development on this side of things and in mobile development we were about 5 years ahead of the curve which is both good and bad oh. we also had we also had another company that we had purchased that provided us with an API and a back-end system to do real time tournaments and it would automate the entire thing we could run a tournament on anything that could send us a score, uh, the joke was you could uh, you could have a toaster that would send us a score, and we could run a contest on 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 it. So people would put in like a dollar, and at the end of it, everybody uh, the person that won the tournament uh, uh, got the uh, got the money. This was again about five years ahead of time. These systems became what you now see as FanDuel and other daily draft. Type systems, you know, they it was basically the same thing. Except instead of gaming scores, you were looking at sports stats. And we had a plan to go into basketball, doing daily draft and producing a bar machine, a machine that sat in a bar and you would enter in your stuff. You would log in at the bar anyway. That was about five years too early. That got no traction whatsoever. Well, wow, what that?
0: Since it didn't get any traction, I guess the, the game or was then shut down and Pirates went...
1: of Samoria was taken off the market and purchased by oh. a competitor. Oh legally okay. all I can say is a competitor. Okay.
0: I, I will the, I will take it.
1: The database that I had built was able to handle a really large number of concurrent players. More so than what could be done at the time, because I used uh, a uh, system called Mongo, which most people weren't really working on, and it's kind of new at that time. And uh, yeah, so a company got hold of it, or a company got wind of it, started looking into us, uh, gave us an offer for a potential purchase. Uh, We thought it was a good idea. And so then they investigated, you know, the the company in detail during the due diligence phase and decided to buy us out. So we were taken off the market before we did our 1.0 launch,
0: but we were soft. And so hindsight is always twenty twenty. Was it a good idea? I don't know, hard to say. Okay.
1: You know, when you release a game into the wild, you never know what's gonna really happen to it. I mean, we were getting great feedback from the people that joined our betas, and uh, they were playing the game and loving the game, and there were tons of there were tons of hours played, but we didn't have a large enough player base to really identify whether we were going to hit the curve of paying players and be able to monetize. I assume so because you know not only did we have the systems in place that the other games did, but we also had the gambling systems that they didn't really have
0: at that okay so if you what what came after that what what was the next destination on this road to now
1: a long dark years i uh stayed with contracting uh i worked with uh well i stayed with uh, not really contracting after that it was more like i would i would join a company if it was something I believed in, um, I had a company I worked for in 1994, which kind of started the call center industry. We had a really large call center in Florida. Didn't start the call center industry, but you know, it was it was one of the the, uh, the the bigger ones. He came back to me and he said, "Hey, I've got this company. We're doing basically what we did at the call center, but we're doing it in so so you would we would be monitoring social networks for certain phrases." And would cause a, a pop on the agent's screen when something specifically happened. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. So I went to work with, with him for a year. I did my, my own companies doing completely non related stuff. Did a couple of game design things. Uh, I prototyped some flat games for some folks. And uh, I became disabled. That's so awful. there were, go ahead.
0: That's awful that you <laughs> became disabled.
1: I don't know. It, it might have been a good thing in a way. So I took a lot of time off, and you know this was still pre-COVID, and so uh, you know the nine-to-five thing was not going to happen with me, and it was really tough to get into uh, back into the gaming industry remotely when you're working for an American company or a company that's local. I mean, Austin is kind of the mecca of game design, other than San Francisco. I mean, we've got Zenimax, we've got Bethesda, well, because you know we have EA. We have BioWare, and there's 20 other studios. But, you know, they all want you to come in if you're in the same city, so that wasn't going to happen. I got really depressed, and I, and I and I didn't do much for a few years. And then when I came out of it, I decided I was coming back into the industry one way or another, and I started the Strategy Informer to become an authority in strategy games, which I've been dealing with strategy games since I was 12 years old, and uh, my dad taught me. Uh, how to play Napoleon at Waterloo, a Napoleonics obviously, uh game. So I've been a, a fan of the industry since then, pretty much an expert already, so I decided to do game review. And that led to some interesting things. And... Say, say for example, what I talked about before about being authentic. Apparently people seem to like my my personality. I was able to scrape by and build a community. Twitter is is by far my my best uh, community, but you know we had the website, which was an afterthought, and did better than than I thought it was. And through my writing, I got to meet the owner and designer of a, of a, of a company. Well, the the company is Strategy Mill. He's an ex Paradox uh, employee that worked on East versus West, which was a well known canceled Paradox. And he designed Terminal Conflict, and eventually he came to me and said, "Come work with." Me. So I'm I'm somewhat back in the gaming industry. I've got the reviews. I've become an authority on the game. Devs look out to me. I do play testing. Look out, I do play testing, and I've got a couple of other things. I'm I'm right now billing out uh, uh, some contract hours for various companies uh, in design, PR, marketing. I'm kind of weird. I have an obsessive personality. So when I get into a project, I really dive deep in it. When I'm not writing or playing, I'm researching the industry. I'm talking to dads. I'm on like six podcasts. It's it's overwhelming and it's taken over my entire life. I don't suggest this behavior to anybody
0: because it caused a divorce. <laughs> but. <laughs> but
1: uh you know <laughs> you deal with what you what you're dealt with
0: i mean i i do or i i would say that this is not a weird behavior at least from my point of view because i would do the same i mean we are not we're maybe not that different in a way but yeah that's me so
1: well from conversations we've had we seem like uh, brothers from another mother so to speak
0: yeah that, that could actually be the case so and you arrived at today as you said you have this contract work with strategy mills you have <laughs> your internet site the strategy informer what can you tell me about the strategy informer well the project was uh,
1: the project was supposed to be based on the fact that i saw a bunch of strategy influencers let's say who were obviously paid off or were obviously being misguiding and not declaring that they were talking about games that they were either under contract for to talk positively on. And I wanted to be more open with things like that. And I thought it was unfair to the people watching. And I thought it was a great disservice to the industry. So that was kind of the motivation behind the Strategy Informer. Then it became, I wanted people to, I wanted to assist people in discovering good so I wanted to focus on games that I thought were good, and help people discover them. Whether that be on YouTube, which I haven't really done, uh, Twitch, which I haven't really done, uh, Twitter, which is, we're, we're prolific on Twitter. Reddit, a website, curator, game reviews, wherever we could get the word out. So we wanted to target the communities of the niche. And if you're doing niche marketing, or if you're doing niche work, it's pretty much what you have to do. You don't want to market to everybody because, no, you know, a a Mario player is not going to necessarily care about civilization. You want to make sure you hit the places of civilization player.
0: That is obviously true, but I would digress that there are some players that play Mario who are also interested in civilization, Um, namely me, but I'm also very much (laughs) exception from the rule. So I do applaud you for being on top of that
1: well those people tend to follow me on twitter more often because uh they get wind of what i'm doing and that way they can keep in their mario communities i mean um how did we find each other i I don't don't know i don't know uh, and maybe it was through
0: igc yeah it was the igc
1: but yeah i mean everybody's got cross interests i've got some guilty pleasures which We've talked about before some of the uh, <laughs> the adult things and the Strategy After Dark pro- uh, project. Uh, yeah. You know, like uh, Long Live the Queen is kind of one of my guilty pleasure games.
0: <laughs> that, that's not even a guilty pleasure game. That game is actually pretty good. I mean, it is.
1: <laughs> I have a lot of respect for Hanako.
0: I, I still remember when I read a review where somebody said it's just where, where somebody and that was at the high point when like it was about women in the gaming industry and everyone went wild with it and and i i specifically remember a review of somebody who was very outspoken very much someone who said yeah uh, women in the industry don't have enough rights and he he made a review of and basically basically saying this is this is just an Excel spreadsheet. Please just give me the Excel spreadsheet so I can make the decisions I want to make. <laughs> Basically, completely dunking on the work of a very talented lady. Yes, she is very talented. I, I follow her on Twitter and uh, I
1: really enjoy her. And uh, I'm drawing a mental blank on her name. <laughs> it starts with a B. Oh boy.
0: <laughs> so yeah, that yeah. that was a that was a thing. Georgiana, um,
1: Georgi- uh, Georgiana, sorry,
0: Georgiana something. Yeah. Uh, anyways, Wait, so. Known let, yeah. Let's just let's just go back to the to the actual topic. So, what? Else, can you tell the people about the strategy? Along with the Queen. Where can we find it? Where can we find you? And just kill just your platform because we will be moving on to the talk about the current gaming industry. And I have questions, a lot of questions about that, which I wanted always to ask a veteran. So. You shill your platform. You tell people where we find you, and then after that, we are moving on. So there'll be a there'll be a section in the
1: podcast, I assume, that'll have all my links. But you know, basically, thestrategyinformer.com is where we have our website, and uh, soon you'll actually see some some orcasaurus uh, uh, in, interesting things uh, on there. And from there, you can find our Discord. You can find our Twitter. My Twitter, uh, you can find uh, all of the uh, what's what's there on the YouTube. But don't bother at the moment. Wait for uh, us to start uh, putting up our our team members' uh, videos. You know, I'm not that difficult to find. Just look for the the strategy informer. If you Google me, I show up. You know, I did web design, so it's easy for me to get good ranking in uh, Google. Good. Hmm. Okay.
0: So um, let let's move on to the gaming industry as a whole, if you as a veteran of the industry I I think that's fair to say, look at the gaming industry today. Would you say it has changed for the better or for the worse?
1: I think the gaming industry today is a cornucopia of amazing games. There are so many games out right now. There are so many games being developed every year. It's not possible to play them all, even in a genre. If you just like Metroidvanias, I don't think you could pay to play them all in a year, but that comes with some bad stuff. It becomes really difficult to discover game. The While the cream rises to the crop or rises to the top, obvious, it's still difficult to see some of these games and find some of these games in some of the niche markets. Say, for example, strategy. And that's kind of what I focus on. So, you know, back in in the 90s, we had demo discs that were sent to us uh, in a magazine via mail, where you could even download them later on. Uh, But there were only like 20, 30 games being released and, you know, maybe five or 10 indie games uh, in the 80s and 90s. And Then it started picking up with the Internet. And it was still difficult to find games like Galactic Civilizations 1, which was actually developed for uh, an operating system that barely anybody, except uh, me and, and Brad Wardell, the designer, uh, used. It was IBM's OS Work. You know, people used DOS and Windows. So, you know, even back then, indie games were, were a little difficult uh, to, to discover. There was a great guy who had a website called Gone Gold, and he would talk about a lot of strategy games when they they went really when they got when they when they went gold and got released. So he was a great source of of finding out where uh, what was coming out, and there wasn't really anything uh, that was really reliable. So. You know, it wasn't really reliable. Now, so the industry has changed with a lot of crap being developed. You can't find anything on the main platform. The magazines have become garbage. I mean, who really reads PC Gamer No Maybe you'll you, maybe you'll look at a review every now and then when it's a, you know a game that uh, that interests you. You know, there are some great writers, Sin Vega, who work who writes uh, for who is here? Nuketown. Anyway. I don't want to give them an ad. You know, she talks about some of the lesser-known games, but she's not very well-known. I mean, she's a great writer. So that's basically the big difference. Better games, worse games, less
0: discoverability. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like you said, more games, less discoverability is basically a, a given because, like you said, there is so much stuff on there, and there's only so, just so... So many people who cover it. So, you have all these also niche outlets like Loot Gamer, for example. I will give them an ad because I love their work. Uh, you have your website, the Strategy Informer, who does cool stuff. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's actually, it, it also gives like, the, I feel like, the, the rise or the opportunity to. Content creators in general, so I mean writers, video essayists, and whoever else, the opportunity to just do their thing—you know—that's another, that's another great thing about this flood of games. That you can basically find people who share your commonality, uh, your interest, who you have a commonality with, and that's good.
1: And of course, you know, we can't, we can't. You know, we don't have to really sing the praises of the content creators. Uh, you know, they're going out and finding, you know, like players for various games, and some of them are absolutely dynamite. I like some of the smaller ones really, really well. Uh, and when I say smaller, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like 25,000. I do watch some people that are like 50 or 100. Uh, so, you know, at all any exposure is good exposure so yeah. that helps out a great deal and we didn't have that you know back back in the day but you know people people read the magazines more often that was kind of the content creator
0: yeah that that's true that but also these back in the day these magazines were actually focused on games now they do all st- kinds of nonsense that all takes away from gaming itself i feel like and yeah. it's not as much fun anymore to read these magazines and i just skipped that so personally how i find my games i actually look at steam reviews
1: i do too um but i look at you know a combination of steam reviews uh my friends i have a huge amount of friends on steam it's actually kind of ridiculous and uh A lot of them are active in the activity feed, surprisingly. I've sold games. They've sold games to me. We read each other's reviews. We read each other's curators. Um, Of course, you know, I'm in the Reddit for the various things. That's how I find games, too. And I do a lot of scouting. A lot of scouting. I could probably become a a game scout for a medium-sized publisher like, uh, you know, say, 1C or Hooded Horse. (laughs) Easily. I'm just constantly scouting new games.
0: I mean, you you kind of you kind of have to do it in a way uh, because it's your job. You have to find a new cool strategy game, right? Right. So there's, I need to. I see my spreadsheet. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> so and and to to come back a little bit to the gaming industry. So if you look at current trends of the gaming industry, like for example, monetization and like life services and stuff like that. How do you feel about all of this? You know, I
1: used to have kind of an elitist attitude about people that designed the gotchas and the mobile games were predatory and bad people and they were abusing things. But another developer Tomo Moriwaki, who works for Hyperkinetic and produces the game Epic Tavern—he's become a good friend of mine and we podcast together—would counter my statements and say, hey— Who are you to say how someone spends their money? If they get enjoyment out of buying upgrades or new gacha pulls or a new character, who are you to say that that's not entertaining for them and they're okay? And that's a really good point. As long as you're not breaking the law, as long as you're not doing this to minors, I do feel there needs to be some regulation post your rate, uh, your your percentages, post the odds. Be honest with it. Have a third party validate those odds like we do with casino games. You know, people go to Vegas and lose thousands of dollars and have a wonderful time. Who am I to say that's a bad thing?
0: So, but but here is the thing, and this is where I counter you both. For example, if you go to Vegas, people who have a clearly habit of being addicted to gambling, they can't enter casinos. Yes. Exactly. But they can go online and buy gacha loot boxes. Okay, so somewhere
1: along the lines, you have to take personal responsibility. I think this may be a difference between um, an American outlook and a European outlook the european union kind of tries to protect its citizens for the better or the worse i'm not saying one system is better than the other in america if you're a gambling addict you have to stay away from gambling we're not they're not going to the government's not going to intercede and create regulations so that a addicted person doesn't play a gotcha we will create regulations that try to prevent a teenager or a, a child from doing. I think that's fine. In Europe, especially like Belgium, they're very much against loot boxes, correct? Yeah. I, I think they even banned Diablo Immortal from coming in. Yeah. So
0: just like just like the Netherlands.
1: Okay, yeah, Netherlands, right. And and I I I don't blame them and I think that's fine. But I don't think I should take the moral high ground and say these development teams are better or worse than me. Now it's funny that I had that elitist attitude because back in 2010, I was producing games. Its monetization was based on what we now look at as gotcha, uh, or you know, you run out of stamina and you buy more stamina, or you buy gambling to get ahead. I mean, I was doing straight out lotto. I was doing straight out scratch off tickets, and then I developed that 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 elitist attitude that that was bad game design. Now, it could be bad taste putting out horse armor, which you know is is the big the big thing that started this whole thing. Putting out Horse Armor as a DLC, I don't see anything wrong with that. You don't need it to advance. I mean, Riot does a wonderful job with selling cosmetics. You don't have to spend a dime in a Riot game. So it can be done well without being kind of slimy. Yeah,
0: but, but that that's the thing. It can be done without being slimy. But if you look at Diablo Immortal, it's one thousand percent slimy about it, especially after all the stuff that comes out about it, and that it's essentially, even if they claim otherwise, it is pay to win. If you look at the reports and everything that come in now, and from people who played it.
1: So I never played PvP in Diablo. I don't really, I don't really engage in much PvP. I I have, and sometimes I do play it. But when I'm doing PvP, I much prefer to do it like in a card game and. You know, if you're going to tell me magic's not pay to win, I'm going to laugh at you. Um, So I'm used to that. But you can play Diablo Immortal without spending a dime and have a fantastic time. If you want to PvP, you need to spend. Well, if you want to PvP at the high level and be decent at it, yes, it's pay to win. It's totally pay to win. But there are so many dungeons and so so much loot that you can play the Diablo main game loot
0: for a long time and never have to spend a dime so there's there's an interesting counter i mean i personally still remain on the side of bandit's filth because i personally think it's just bad overall for our industry and it creates it creates these bad habits i think the problem or The fun, as you and your friends said, was created by introducing the mechanics. I doubt people had fun before that. I think introducing these kinds of things created the demand for it. Oh, certainly. Certainly. And I think that is bad practice. And I will stand my ground on that and just say, fuck these developers. But that's me. I respect your opinion about it. And that's completely fine.
1: Diablo is an egregious example. They have really overdone it. The The monetization is disgusting. I can totally understand where you're coming from. I totally get it. And in a whole, I say it's garbage. But very few people are going to spend the $10,000 required. The people that do are either going to lose their houses or they have it to burn. They're oil princes. You know, <sighs> And that's an interesting point. What about games catering to oil princes? (laughs) There's probably (laughs) a whole.
0: I mean, if you if you if you have uh, games that cater to oil shikes and whatnot and oil princes, then I would just suggest they play Oil Rig Simulator or whatever it's called. (laughs) There was a strategy game that was about getting oil out of the ocean, and it was absolutely fantastic with zero monetization attached to it. And it is a thrill deal. oil Tycoon, exactly. It's just an absolutely lovely game. And I would everyone suggest to check that one out because it came out this year in March and it's wonderful. I liked it a lot. So there is that. Thrill deal gets the Strategy Informer thumbs up.
1: I have played it as well. I thought it was a really great Tycoon game
0: with some really cute
1: features like you know manning the guns to get rid of the pirates and you know your basic
0: building and stuff like that thumbs up yeah why not why not play that it's even about oil <laughs> so i don't know what's wrong with that you know but it, i i feel like and and this is still where i come from and and then we end this I feel like this, um, if somebody has fun spending their money, I think this has been something that has been created by introducing this money spending mechanics and not being something that a gamer usually wants to do, because a gamer usually, or, or old school gamers like us, we just grew up with the product. You would go to the game store, you would just smack down your money You got the full product and you went home and you played it. And maybe if it was a really successful game, you went like three to six months after that back into the game. So smacked down a little bit less money and got an expansion pack for it.
1: So when they put out a new series of miniatures for uh, Warhammer Underworlds, isn't that the same thing as a DLC or a micro... Well, yeah, it's not really a microtransaction, or macro transaction, but you could even kind of consider it what they're trying to do with NFTs. You know, the whole miniatures industry has gone that direction. I've... World of Tanks miniatures.
0: Don't get me, don't get me started on NFTs, dude. Like I hate that shit too. It's, it's just something that creates demand where no demand is needed. Artificial scarcity is probably the worst thing ever. And when we talk about miniature miniatures, this is the exact reason why I stopped buying miniatures because they always come out with new stuff, with new stuff to buy, with new rule books. I stopped at one point because A, this hobby, like I used to play 40K, like I went to tournaments and shit, like local tournament. I, I stopped playing that because a it's so expensive like you can sink a fucking m- your, your entire income into that and get nowhere and it, it's like you said they always come out with new stuff that is just slightly redesigned from the last stuff. And I I, I mean, if you wanna collect them, fine. I get that more because you actually get a physical product for it that you actually can do stuff with, like paint it or play with it and whatnot. Or just look at it, like just paint your army and just like do whatever with it, like make it look nice on a battlefield or something, yeah? You can do stuff with that. It has a multi-purpose array of stuff but if you buy a loot box in a game the moment the server shuts off you don't own the stuff in that loot box anymore you you but if if your warhammer store down the street closes you still own your warhammer miniatures even if games workshop goes out of business you still have the rule books you still have the armies you still can call up your friend and say hey dude how about we just get together, drink a few beer, and just smack each other in Warhammer? And he'll say, no, I've moved on to Car Wars. I'm not playing Warhammer anymore. <laughs> then I call up another friend. I mean, it's not like I have only one friend that only plays Warhammer.
1: <laughs> I'm just trying to,
0: to draw the connection.
1: Uh, and, you know, some of it's a little ridiculous that I'm trying to draw, but some of it, you know, there there are direct Comparisons to DLC, uh, microtransactions, NFT-type garbage. I don't like NFTs. Um, I, I like the technology. I don't like how they're being implemented. I think it's all scams. Uh, and, you know, the the thing of, oh, you can transfer between games. No, you can't. You never will. You never will be able to transfer between It's too much of an IP nightmare. Man, do you think you're going to get your Spider-Man into your Star Wars now.
0: <laughs> I mean theoretically it might be possible, theoretically, but Sony still has the Spider-Man rights. So right. We'll see how that. Is. I I understand that people try to draw these comparisons, but I feel like they're that, that's a little bit grasping at straws and I mean, Yeah,
1: I mean certainly, like a- but it gives you it gives you a little bit of a sense of, okay, these miniatures are useless, but I get enjoyment out of painting them, and I can show them on my wall, i.e. I'm getting some enjoyment. Somebody will look at that and say, wow, that's really useless that you put your miniatures up there. That's a waste of time that you've painted them. So it's all in the eye of of the person. Now I do 100% agree that people with problems shouldn't be playing these games. I actually spent like $200 last month on on one of them and I'm ashamed of myself and I hate myself.
0: It's fine. I, I don't judge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, that out of the way. What do you think about this entire... I mean, you you said it already. You like crunch. Crunch is alright. Uh, but what do you think about this entire... Uh, <clears throat> stuff going on with the uh yeah basically working culture in the gaming industry with crunch and everything so
1: you know let's 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 go with the the elephant in the room before we hit crunch the elephant in the room is the mistreatment of women. uh you know it's been in the press a lot this year for the blizzard allegation it's nothing new that we haven't heard of i hope that didn't come through it, it did come through <laughs> I have reminders set up so I don't forget things. Uh, so, you know, um, it, it's, it's horrible. I don't agree with it, but I never saw it in my professional history. No company I've worked for has done that. Um, not the head of the studio, but the head of production for Ultima Online was a female. Uh, Carly was also the voice for System Shock, very well-respected individual who did leave the gaming industry, I don't know why, um, but uh, uh, very talented. You know, I, I, I've i seen corporate parties that did get a little crazy, but, you know, it was kind of like a chick and a chick, you know, being being affectionate towards each other. There wasn't any, any unwanted advances. I think the women at, at Origin uh, were paid as much as the guys did. They were, they were promoted, obviously. I saw some of them in some very high So I didn't get to see this behavior that is supposedly prevalent in the industry. So I don't know it firsthand. But when I read about it on paper, it's obviously hard. So crunch, you know, it started at EA. The big EA wives thing, I think, is when this started becoming. Because people, you know, pretty much never saw their, their loved ones. They were crunching so much. So we used to call never-ending crunches death mark and it would burn out entire teams and the management was just we'll replace them going back to that whole ea university thing you know everybody would replace them. so those i disagree with when you're crunching for no reason but three days before the release of a game i see nothing wrong with having to spend a bunch of hours in the office and get the game in shippable state. That's cool, but you shouldn't be crunching for months with no goal in mind, or crunch after crunch after crunch. That's not, that's not effective project management. If you're doing that, there's something horribly wrong with your project management. And yes, indeed, AAA has a serious problem with project management, um, especially back then when they used Waterfall as the project management tech. Now everybody's agile, and there's still issues with being agile. But you don't need to crunch. You work in two-week sprints. You complete that sprint with what you're capable of. And then you move on. You're not supposed to crunch. But those, you know, there are certain milestones that you need to add.
0: And you can crunch for them. Those are special. Okay. So, any... I'm going
1: to get slaughtered for saying that.
0: <laughs> no. No. We are, we are just here to talk to people. I want to get to know people. Nobody's getting slaughtered for anything. Not not here not in my comment section at least i tried to not do it so let's i don't believe in
1: abusing employee I'm, i'm not saying that i'm saying though that sometimes it comes with the job just like if you're working as an emt you're on call 24 hours a day that's not great that's not an optimal situation that's how it is. Now, granted, you get two days off that, but, you know, you get my point.
0: I, I get your point. But I feel like that... Uh, well, okay, yeah. I get your point. Um, and it's fair. <laughs> so, do you... What is your current favorite game? Too many to... too many to list. Um, I'm a big fan. Last
1: year's Game of the, the Year for me was Old World. I'm a big fan of Soren's uh, designs and Mohawk and when he used to work for Starbuck. And, of course his work on Civilization IV. Uh, Soren's a, a great developer, someone who I look up to and I hope to work for or work with. That would be probably my favorite currently, but my favorite kind of shift is, you know, the wind blow.
0: And is there like a game where you say, okay, this could today be my all-time favorite game? Yes. Which one? Uh,
1: Mankind could have been amazing, and it was a huge letdown to me. To me. Some people love it. Uh, Stellaris is another one that was a letdown. And they're all letdowns because of game design reasons. For example, the AI in Stellaris is is a road bump. Um, The only reason it can possibly beat you is because it it does things very streamlined. Um, But once you learn how to properly run your economy, you'll never... Peach Allen of Humankind Again, the yeah, AI with Brain Dead. And there's some weird, there are weird half finished ideas in it. It's got some great ideas. I'd love to see it, you know, three, three, four years from now, after some DLCs and improvements. Um, I'm really I'm really big into games with unique designs. There's some smaller ones. Um, like uh, Black and Slash, which is about to come out. And basically, he distilled the entire ARPG Diablo-style loot game down to primitive pixels, like triangles and squares, and it's on a map. And basically, uh, it just, the game loop is all about upgrading your equipment, and it strips out everything, not necessary. I really like when that's done. Um, I really like when there's a unique design Cultist simulator is a really unique design where you play nouns on verb. Well, that's not really, that's not really true. Basically, like you'll play a pair of scissors on a cultist and it'll cause something to happen, possibly. I mean, that's not always, it. you know, sometimes, you know, you can't play something on another thing. It's not like everything is, is accounted for. Um, or you play a cultist in a, in a, wow, I'm really doing a bad job of explaining it. Check out Cultist Simulator or Artless Life Simulator. And there's a new game that just, or it's in demo right now. It's on the Steam demo called Four Tale, And it's a lot like that. You, you play abilities on areas and something happens. The narrative, you know, builds in your head and on the board. Really cool. Have you ever played Tooth and Tail? I have.
0: What do the you think? RTS? Yeah, the RTS. What I thought it was. Ins- I thought it was interesting.
1: You know, be, I like the concept of you know one side being stronger than the other and kind of an asymmetrical thing. Uh, the theming was really cute, although it was brutal. But I thought the game was lacking in the end, and that was mainly because. It's not a game you play for 4,000 hours. You know, you play the campaign, you may play a couple of skirmishes, and you're kind of done with it.
0: I can see that.
1: You know, so if I was going to like give it a rating, I would I would definitely give it like somewhere between a 7.5 and an 8. It was, it was a good game.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can live with that. Okay, so do you have any famous last words for our audience before we wrap up the show?
1: You know, I want to go back to that point that I made before. If you're, if you're a creator, you're looking to get into the gaming industry if you're a game developer uh if you're just a game fan want to get noticed be authentic there are a million people doing the same thing you and the only thing that makes you stand out
0: is you that is a nice closing statement and this has been the orca cast and this has been sj gold thank you for coming thanks for having me i really appreciated it this is a great great little uh call we did thank you and I talk to someone else next week, until then take very good care of yourselves and bye bye!